When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash teamready. What is going on, Bev Sports fan? It's your favorite history teacher, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, here with another edition of FN Sports, the podcast where teachers grade sports biggest issues. And today, as we start summer vacation, we're going to do a little bit of class ranking as grades are coming in from the end of the school year. We're going to rank some NBA players because I think there's an important discussion to be had regarding one particularly, well, sm- say smaller, smaller NBA player that is playing in some fairly important games in the next two weeks. We're going to look at the NBA rankings of all-time players, or at least the tiers I've got them in, and one Steph Curry and where he fits in and how the next couple of weeks could really change where he fits in, frankly. So without further ado, let's dive on in. All right, so first, I think we need to talk about why is it important we do this or why we look at this right now, because frankly, I'm kind of anti ranking players i'm kind of anti-ranking grades and things like that too as an academic but that sounds like a separate conversation that i need to have with a bunch of college boards as far as why class rank is kind of a whole bunch of baloney but anyways i'm looking at here we're looking at ranking nba players and i typically don't like to do this because i kind of feel like everyone a tends to lean for nostalgia reasons into some time of their life whether that's like middle school, high school, and they really got into the NBA, whether that's like a particular time where their team was the best team on earth, like say they were in college and they were like loving the Lakers and Lakers winning great a whole bunch of games in the 80s so they're in college or whatever, or people go to the first guys they saw because it's the first guys they saw do things. So it goes to like Dr. J taking off from the free throw line. It's like the greatest things ever because that's the first thing they saw. And so everything that came after that was a version of a copycat. What I think is interesting now is you're having people A, 
that argue much more about the advanced analytics and the way that we understand the body grows and develops and how athletes are just generally speaking always going to be bigger stronger faster and more coordinated and better trained and so the current model will always theoretically be the air quotes best version because it'll be the most practiced the most rehearsed the most trained most conditioned etc version of basketball so some people are using that to explain why modern basketball players would be the best you now have a full nba of guys that all played year-round basketball through aau programs high levels against one another i mean these guys are now teammates and playing against one another that all saw each other at various aau circuits or team usa camps or for various, you know, Peach Jams and uh, Kingwood was a big one when I was in high school and those kinds of things. That's kind of taken over the league. And so the idea that these guys are year-round basketball players playing at a high level against the highest competition would make people think that, oh, of course, today's guys are the best. That kind of has taken over a lot of different thinking when people are thinking of where guys fit into these top lists. Like, it's going to tend to hedge more towards modern guys. The counter to that has been things like The Last Dance or the Showtime Lakers stuff that they're doing on HBO where you're seeing guys pulling out nostalgia for 80s and 90s basketball. Guys pulling out nostalgia. What's the Mad Dog Russo? What, he, he's a big Havlicek guy. Yeah, he's a big Havlicek guy. Like that's, that's this nostalgia is coming back to bring up this conversation that's kind of got the pendulum swinging constantly back and forth, ding, 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 back and forth across the spectrum here. And so we're going to try and look at this top ranking and kind of take that out of it the best I can. I got to admit a couple things. One, I was born in 1991, right? So like everything I've done, I think I've done a lot of homework on this, but anything done from before 1991, and frankly, everything done before 2000, I kind of had to do a lot of homework on because outside of like watching Houston Rockets with my dad or watching the NBA Finals around the house or whatever, like I don't know that I necessarily was watching like Jordan put up 55 in the garden just just because I was five years old when it happened, right? That's not, I don't think the average five-year-old is watching something happen randomly on a Tuesday night, late at night on TV that's not a cartoon. But I am a history teacher. I am an academic. I did my homework on this. So work with me. I think you'll be surprised on some of these things. The second thing I'll say is, as I look at this, um, I think that part of this is nonsensical. Like everyone's going to have their rankings and people put their with them or whatever. But like, at the end of the day, I kind of feel like who cares? Like I'm watching current basketball and I enjoy watching who I enjoy watching. And frankly, if that's Tyrese Maxey, I don't really care where he fits in. I think that it really comes and strikes a chord with me whenever I hear old heads talk about, well, Jordan's the greatest of all time and it'll always be the greatest of all time. Blah, blah, because at the end of the day, I'm like, so you just haven't enjoyed basketball since 1998? Like you've really gone a full 24 years without enjoying basketball because no one's as good as Michael Jordan? Like, like okay, at the end of the day, someone says, they're not as good as Michael Jordan. I say, okay, so what? So what's the big deal here? What are we looking at here? What's the important thing? And that's a typical reason I shy out of this. I think the reason we're diving into this, the reason it's important to dive into this conversation today, or to look at basketball, is Steph Curry, very realistically, is about to potentially really shift how we look at all of this. He's about to really climb his way into some awkward conversations for people that have a problem with the three-point game or a problem with the little guys or a problem with the modern analytics or a problem with a lot of the way basketball is played today. But the funny thing to me is that, traditionally speaking, people that have all those problems with the way basketball is played today 
tend to really like Steph Curry because he's the wholesome guy. He's got the kids at the podium with him. He's got you know the wife that runs the restaurants, and the, he's drafted by the Golden State Warriors. He's going to always be the Golden State Warriors and all those kinds of things, and he did it the right way, air quotes, and he was a small-town cool kid from small school, and we don't need to get into the fact that he had pro shooting coaches his whole life because dad's a pro and all that. But he strikes a chord with people that like the old way of doing things because there's a lot of the way that he has done things that feels like the old way of doing things because he did things, frankly, not unlike his father Dell did. And he looks into being drafted by an organization that treated him the right way. And I will say that Steph Curry will always be an interesting case in this. And that's why we need to look at it today. And so we're going to start talking about where the list goes and where the tiers are set. Then we're going to talk about where Steph Curry fits in. And then we're going to talk about a little bit about why Steph Curry is so important and why this moment feels important to do this. So let's go ahead and do it. All right. So my first tier is a set of three guys, kind of one, two, three, that I think all share the top tier of this chart evenly. I say evenly because I think on any given day, anyone could make the argument for any one of these three guys yes i keep saying three guys because i think most people really have two people up here and we use this as a big argument say oh which generation are you from which type of guy are you do you like this or that or what do you like about basketball but i think these three guys all fit in the tier together the three guys are obviously michael jordan lebron james and kareem abdul Jabbar. Now, most people don't have Kareem in their top three, but when I look at a guy that like won six NBA championships, has six MVPs to his name, was a obviously rookie of the year, uh, finals MVP a couple of times, he rebounds, most rebounds in the league, most points in the league, etc. a number of times, most points of all time to date, he obviously fits in this same tier. So let's look at Michael and LeBron first. Again, I'm going with tiers here and they seem to fit sit on the same tier and so i think that feels fairly obvious i'll also point out like in the room i'm currently sitting in there are three jerseys hanging on the wall akeem olajuwon go houston rockets right behind me and then i've got jordan and lebron sitting there side by side there's something nice and symmetrical about like the dark red and the regular red and the 23 on both of them and this and that and that's way it ties the room together so it's not just because i like them both but i do think that they represent something bigger than themselves. They represent generations of basketball in a way that I think goes beyond the statistical measures. Now, yes, Jordan has six titles. Yes, LeBron has four and counting. Yes, LeBron went to 10 finals in however many years. They ended up being 13 years, 14 years, 10 and 14 years. He went to all those different finals, including the bubble. He won the Marac. I was at the bubbles. Hard finals to win. People say it's different. It's certainly different. I would just say different. Hard. He won that bubble. Cha- he won the three to one championship after being down to the Warriors. He won a couple of Miami's or the whole super team thing. He also like took a Cleveland Cavaliers team with like him and Mo Williams and Booby Gibson to the NBA Finals. And I don't think people realize how crazy difficult that was because LeBron did it. And so it's like, of course he did it. He was in his like fourth year in the NBA. He was in his fourth year in the NBA doing that kind of like these things are absurd. This would be like if Luka just did what Luka did, but along the way beat several former champions and had nothing close to a Jalen Brunson on his team. I'm talking like him and a team of a bunch of Maxi Klebas at absolute best with guys like Zodrunas Ogalskis under the basket clogging up the lane. 
that's the kind of stuff we saw LeBron James do. So I think that counts as a fairly big, even though they got swept in the final for the Spurs, dynastic type of team would be talking about at least one San Antonio Spur much, much later. I think that all ties into LeBron's resume. Jordan, you had the six titles, the beating of the Pistons, the dominating of a decade, all the different scoring things, the jumping things, the dunking things, all the fun stuff you have to do with that. That winning mentality that gets a little bit cliche and overdone, but obviously does tie to Jordan. I think these two guys are on this pedal, so we'll get to why Kareem fits in in a second, because they also define a generation of basketball. You cannot think about basketball in the 90s without how everything relates to Jordan. Now, if you want to go to media, that's fine, but everyone from the decade in the 90s, and really, Frank, the late 80s as well, is defined as how they connect to Michael Jordan. It's did they beat Michael Jordan? Did they run into Michael Jordan? If they had run into Michael Jordan, how would that have gone? And I think that for whatever reason, that seems to put him on the top tier pedestal because of the way he ties to all of those things. LeBron's got the same thing for nearly 15 years, right? LeBron has the exact same. Did he beat him in the finals? They beat him in the Eastern Conference finals. They beat him along the way. Steph Curry's greatness is defined as, we'll get to talk about Steph Curry a lot later. Steph Curry's greatness is defined as the guy that knocked LeBron off the second half of the last decade, right? Those things all fit in to that same story arc. Everyone we talk about on the show will be the kind of guy that you cannot tell the story of basketball without. So I don't mean to say that that's particularly just these two guys. But I will say that these guys also bleed into how you talk about all of those other guys' stories. You can't talk about Tim Duncan without talking about the 2013, 2014, or 2007 finals. You can't talk about Hakeem Olajuwon without pointing out that those two titles happened when Jordan was only in the league for the last like two months of one of them, right? Like those kinds of things bleed into other people's stories in a way that really, really cements them to me as the two top tier guys. Which brings us to Kareem, because Kareem's career also seeps into all of these other stories. You can talk about Oscar Robertson. You can talk about the only time the Milwaukee Bucks won a championship before he honest. You can talk about Magic Johnson, the way he showed up in L.A. and they immediately became a title-winning team and then contender for the rest of the decade. If you want to talk about UCLA and John Wood and the whole historic program there, there's a whole world where we talk about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and people forget this because of the way LeBron reset the stage in 2001, 2, and 3. But Kareem was the first nationally known high school prospect in a lot of ways. I mean, he was dominating at Power High School in Harlem in a way that people in El Paso, Texas, and Portland, Oregon, and Chicago, and all over the country were hearing about because of what this tall, athletic kid in Harlem was doing. Meanwhile, I'd point out in the same way that LeBron has defined this generation of athlete and Jordan defined, it was a lot of financial stuff, his generation of athlete and the boom of sports and all the stuff that we take in about sports and all that kind of stuff those two generations of athletes get defined by guys like lebron or guys like jordan or people following in their footsteps i would argue kareem obviously does the same thing he's the super young kid at the muhammad ali conference he's the guy that brought the black muslim movement to everyone's television sets he's the guy that defined a whole generation of america in a weird way in sport he did it while also being the best athlete i generally like to look at this like what rules have people made to make the game more difficult because someone made it too easy like with jordan i would look at things about like 
everyone enjoyed watching Jordan score and offense really took off as the TV numbers took off in the 90s. So we got rid of the hand check because scoring brought more fans about the game. LeBron James in the way that, you know, LeBron dominated the game in a way that was 6'8 plus, 250 plus. All of a sudden now you got a bunch of guys that are playing power forward and bringing the ball up and those kinds of things. That changed the game, even though it's unwritten rules. It changed the way we play basketball which will also get us to our Steph Curry guy later the way that Kareem changed the game <laughs> and it really is funny because it kind of worked out to the detriment it they outlawed dunking in college basketball because of this guy and you know what he did he learned how to shoot a hook shot and now the whole league's done right like like that's the way that whole thing went is you outlawed dunking because it's too dominant a force and you can't stop this seven foot two guy from dunking the basketball you know what he does he shoots an impossible block shot and perfects it to where you're in even more trouble because he can keep doing that pirouetting hook shot for decades 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 the first year he's eligible to play for ucla because freshman went on to play or whatever da, 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 is 1966 he retired from the nba in 1989 that's a full 33 years at the highest levels of basketball in this country and he dominated from start to just about finish. You could argue his back gave out a little bit at the end there, but from start to just about finish. And I have to say that that is as impressive as it gets. You've got Jordan and Kareem doing the winning. You've got LeBron and Kareem combining winning with longevity. And you've got peaks with, the, with Jordan and Kareem. You've got the longevity and dominance over long stretches of time with Kareem and LeBron. And to put them all together, that clearly puts these three guys on the same platform that's why they sit at the tier atop of this chart now they can be any particular order on any given day but for the time being they're sitting together mix them up and deal them how you choose okay parker so the thesis statement for this commercial is james harden has the best beard in sports what do you think about that thesis statement Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beers between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. All right, so I want to go back to that part where we talk about changing the way we play basketball. And in doing that, I look at the next tier and see four clear-cut guys that sit at the next tier. So that means they're going to be, on any given day, players between like four, five, six, and seven, right? Like any of these guys get mixed up and put on any of those spots. But my next four guys, I've got Will Chamberlain, I've got Magic Johnson, I've got Larry Bird, and I've got Bill Russell. So 
obviously as we go through, you have all the historic numbers that are Wilt Chamberlain. My brother and I joke about this all the time that in baseball, you have the Babe Ruth rule. Every time someone has done anything or anybody someone done his anything historic, it's like, and Babe Ruth did this twice. It's the first time it's been done in 50 years and Babe Ruth done it twice. That's the way every single statistic reads with Wilt Chamberlain. You got James Harden goes for 35 points, 30 games in a row, or 30 points, 30 games in a row, and those kinds of things. Wilt Chamberlain did it for 150 games in a row multiple times, right? Like, like a guy gets 25 rebounds in a game, it's 20 and 20, he has back-to-back 20 and 20 games. Wilt Chamberlain went and did that for like six weeks in a row, right? Like, these kinds of things always pop up as, oh my God, type of statistics with Wilt Chamberlain. And frankly, the solid argument he could make, obviously, in absentia, would be that, if they had just kept more stats while he played, that would be the case in all these analytics too. We just don't have the full stat book from the Wilt Chamberlain days, and I guess people have gone back and done some putting together some of the games they can, but not even every game was on TV, including the unrecorded game, as in there's no video evidence of it, but where he scores 100 points, right? Like, a 100 points game, you think about the way Kobe put up 81, you think about guys put up like Devin Booker 70, and how crazy these things are when a guy gets... 50 or 60, he did 100. It's the same kind of concept as who Wilt Chamberlain is. I think the most miraculous stat, though, if I'm looking at one thing Wilt Chamberlain did, was he played an average of 48 and a half minutes one season. You'll note that an NBA game is 48 minutes. That means he played every minute and overtime enough, often enough, that his average game was longer than the average game. <laughs> and so I have to say that that's impressive. Uh, so Wilt Chamberlain dominant at the way he is as a big man. I think most people say, well, he's just big chunks. And go back and watch the tapes that there are. It's pirouettes, it's fadeaways, it's fallbacks, it's both hands, it's 10 feet out, 12 feet out, 15 feet, inside four. You can't stop him off the bounce. He puts two dribbles and a spin to your back. Like all those kinds of things are really, really happening from Wilt. So Wilt makes it into this tier. The other guy I said was Magic Johnson. Obviously changed the way the game is played in that anyone can A, run the break, B, grab a rebound and go, C, play any position, the first true positionless basketball player of all time, and D, do it with flash. He made it fun. Now, I understand people say, well, there's Pistol Meet Maravich, or there's all this and that, but people watched Magic and said, I want to be able to do that. That guy's having fun fun and he did it while winning and i think a lot of the time we see a guy with a smile like magics and assume oh of course he's having a great time but like he didn't have the grit and grind and burr the kobe snarl and those kind of things no magic won just as much as all your snarling superstars and did it with a smile on his face then in a way that everyone wanted to be just like him and frankly as we have seen in the showtime tv show did in a way where the ladies love some magic now i will say that that's not a statistical argument to put him in this category. He's got plenty of those as well with the assists and the triple doubles and the this and the that. But I think the thing that is interesting and in looking at is like a guy like a Jason Tatum in these NBA finals probably doesn't exist if there's never Magic Johnson because Magic leads us to think that a guy like LeBron can also play the points. Again, LeBron's in the first tier because it's more than just that. All of a sudden you start seeing guys that are 6'8 plus in the current generation of basketball players are bringing the ball up the floor. Guys that are 6'8 plus and current junior fastball players are doing guard things because that's the more fun thing to do as a little kid. But more importantly, the versatility and the usefulness of that versatility became insanely obvious when watching those Lakers run. A 6'9 guy could take the rebound off the rim and push the break 
without having to ever make an outlet pass. That then made that those outlet passes were transition passes for layups because the whole thing just ran at once. It's beautiful to watch. Go back and put on the tapes. It's a really, really fun thing. Speaking of fun things, and I think a guy that gets kind of this description is like not the fun thing because people think about how big he was, how good a shooter he was, or just how much the Celtics won in the 80s. But truthfully, Larry Bird fits a lot of the same things with Magic. If you really go back and watch the tapes, he's the same brilliant passer. He is also taking the ball off the rim and pushing the break in a different way because he's got different pieces around him, right? Mikhail is not Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? So it doesn't really work the same. You don't have the James Worthy on his team either, but he really does push the ball off the break in a very similar way. The craftiness, the creativity, it's all so, so fun to watch. The way he's you know, deking the guy on defense with the ball, ball fakes, putting behind the defender's head and flipping the ball behind his own back, behind the, without looking, all these kind of different fun, fun things. Again, making the game a thing that people want to do. It is the kind of basketball people want to go play and emulate. And frankly, it's what leads to so much creativity and craftiness now. But together, I want to point out that those two guys did some, Magic and Larry, that is, did something that I think also is part of the, like, you cannot talk about basketball without it. Their rivalry becomes the one that all rivalries are pointed towards. Everything is, this is like my version of Larry and Magic. Oh, you like watching Tim Duncan and Shaq. That's like this generation's Larry and Magic. Oh, you like watching LeBron and Seth Curry. That's this generation's Larry and Magic. And that's not to say that they didn't each have their own specific, unique things. Like, part of what's unique about larry and magic because they actually cover each other a lot of the time whereas like lebron and steph don't actually cover each other a whole lot there's like the shot that steph gets blocked by lebron or whatever but that's not necessarily a commonplace thing but what is a commonplace thing what is really cool about the larry and magic thing is that it became this iconic rivalry that kind of superseded sports whether or not you're a basketball fan you're a magic person or a bird person. The importance of that, I think, the rivalry itself means that it's hard to separate these two as to one should move up a tier or move down a tier. They really have to go into this thing together. They're talented enough to be on the second tier here with the next four guys as well. I don't mean to say that anyone's getting pulled up or pulled down, but they have to be together. They're side by side in this whole, whole thing. There's no way to separate the two and put one here and one there. It just comes down to things like preference, and we're trying to, like, be a little bit unbiased here and those kind of things. We're going to put them in this tier together. In the same vein, with the Wilt Chamberlain being in this tier, I had to put Bill Russell in it, and I have a couple different thoughts there. Obviously, you go to the thing where he's, like, the best player on a team that wins 11 championships. Like, that in itself is like, why is he just on this tier, not the other one? Five-time most valuable player, uh, all-NBA this many times, all-defensive team that many times, rebound champion that many times. All those kinds of things. You could even point all the off-the-floor stuff he's done for the, like, the city of Boston and helping uplift like voices all over the country. And frankly, there's this like cool moment where he gets his jersey retired just in front of his teammates and Red Arbach in Boston, in the Boston Garden because he doesn't actually want the city of Boston there because he has this big point to make about how the city of Boston treats him and people look like him and those kinds of things. And I don't mean to say any of that puts him in one tier or another, but I think all those things continue to carry. The way we see the social activist athlete does stem from the things that Bill Russell did. I think the biggest thing, though, aside from being the activist or aside from being opposite Will Chamberlain, aside from being a winner, is this idea that a single defender can shift how you play an entire game. People like to say defense wins championships, but you don't go to the backyard and practice your defense. You go to the backyard and practice your jumper. When you get to the park and you play perfect defense, some guy shoots one and it makes it anyway. 
people just kind of accept that that's part of it. But we looked at Bill Russell and the way he dominated with those Celtics teams. And I'm going back and watching these games, guys. I'm telling you, the way Bill Russell played the game, he dominated while being a single individual defender that covered a lot of the floor and cleaned up a lot of mistakes. If folks that have only been watching the last 22-ish years of basketball or watch a lot of college basketball, this is an era where if you left your man to defend, you had to go commit to a true double team. There was not waiting in the paint. There was not leaving your man. There was all kinds of illegal defenses you could not do, right? And this meant that he was that kind of an athlete at 6'10", 225, and roaming around the rim, and obviously the putback dunks and all the fun stuff on defense too. But much like the Wilt Chamberlain scoring records, Bill Russell is in the same category on the defensive records. And much like all of the craziness of Wilt Chamberlain doing all the things he did in basketball in the 60s, you had Bill Russell doing that and beating Wilt Chamberlain along the way. And I think that that's an important thing to factor in here is much like the Larry Magic rivalry that carries into an every rivalry since it has been described as such, Bill Russell and Wilt kind of had that thing at a time when basketball was not as televised or popular. And further, they had it because they're also two of these all-time great guys, great basketball players, I should say, that dominated basketball and recreated the way we think of basketball in their own respective ways. Wilt with the things he could do individually on offense, Bill and the way he did it on defense. It's not to say neither one could do the other's skill. It's not to say like Wilt couldn't play defense or Bill couldn't do anything on offense, but the way that they elevated the entire sport through their side of the basketball even on the defensive side, which was one we don't necessarily watch, we don't necessarily have ways to explain very well, and it's hard to articulate with statistics because, frankly, there aren't a whole lot besides blocks, steals, and rebounds. Bill Russell did all of that as well. He is in this exact same tier, even if he's a piece of a franchise that won a bunch of championships. And I could digress and talk a little bit about how they won the many teams in the NBA and so on and so forth, but I'm not going to mumble too much on that because that's not the important part here. Bill Russell's in this tier. Fight me. Speaking of dominance, our next tier is three dominant big men that each shaped the way the big men played basketball in a modern sense. I'm looking at Shaquille O'Neal, Tim Duncan, and Akeem Olajuwon. Now, yes, this tier of three does round out my top ten. So I guess technically that means that this is the top ten players as I see them divided up amongst three tiers. But just like my first two, I'm not going to delineate where Shaq or Duncan or Akeem fall within the three but that's the next three so let's start with Shaq Shaq is the big guy that dominated as a big guy doing those flashy things we saw Bird and Magic doing right people forget that young Orlando Shaq is running the break and doing the this and that and the draw balls and those kinds of things but when you get to Lakers Shaq he's dominating while doing I guess it's still like fun and showboaty flashy things but just using pure raw strength Guys aren't supposed to be that mobile while being that big, and clearly he was. Uh, that's not to say there will ever be another Shaq. And frankly, I'm not sure that the Lakers iteration of Shaq would be as dominant in later versions of basketball as Orlando Shaq might have been. But I digress a little bit here that there are so many iterations of Shaquille O'Neal. Not, not to say like the famous graphic of the rainbow of jerseys Shaq wore, but all those different things about Shaq make him so, so dominant. But when he gets into this top 10 or this P, this tier that he's in or whatever, it's because using his size and strength and just brute force, he dominated with as high a peak as anyone in basketball ever has. Like 
supremely dominant Shaq was truly unguardable. 27-12 and 12 at a pace that is one of the slowest of all time, and he's still dominating every single possession. Did they have a young kid named Kobe Bryant on his team? Absolutely. That doesn't mean he didn't dominate the basketball game every single time he stepped on the floor. Further, when you get to the big size and the wingspan, the length, and the way he dominated the paint defensively as well, coming over to help off in the dunker spots and coming to help off in the off blocks and those kind of things, the pin shots off the backboard or meet guys at the rim relentlessly and without fear, because of his own strength, he knew he was going to win every single one of those matchups at the rim with the ball. He clearly fits into this top 10 in some form or fashion. I've got him in this tier. Tim Duncan in the same kind of vein dominated really more kind of at the 15-foot line. Not that he was little by any stretch, but Duncan had, I mean, we can all see it now, right? He's on the left side of the basket with his back to the basket, the guy standing behind him. San Antonio sends a cutter almost always because Popovich's offense is so predictable, either in front of or behind Tim Duncan to try and lose him. If his guy doubles, he's supposed to sit there for a layup because Duncan can spot up for this back down move at around 12 to 15 feet. Duncan then puts his left shoulder into the guy, or he squares up either way, but he immediately starts dribbling with his right hand once he goes into his move, and either hits a jumper if the guy sags too far off. He hits two dribbles and a floater with his right, or I guess more of a hook shot than a floater with his right hand, or he, if the guy tries to overplay the right, crosses back to the left, takes two dribbles, and then either does some sort of spin move or whatever and gets back to his right hand because he's digs the defender to think he's actually going to go left for some time. Right? Duncan did these kinds of things from 15 feet out, all the time he also made the routine exciting in a way that i don't know if it's possible to describe to someone who didn't watch it you watch highlights and whatever and it's like oh, of course you're gonna drop two dribble here hook shot there it's just over and over and over the same monotony bank shot from 15 feet bank shot from 15 feet bank shot from 15 feet but the deal was it was so automatic and i can't describe this people didn't watch it happen but it was so automatic that you know when he caught the ball if san antonio was down one by the end of the possession, that thing's going to be in, and it's up one. Like It was that kind of excitement because as soon as he caught the ball, you're like, ooh, it's going to happen. As soon as he caught the ball, and I don't know how to describe this to someone that wasn't watching the Spurs a lot in those 2000s or for that dynastic run they had, but I have to say that that weirdly adds to how he gets into this as well. He also was the best player in basketball for a stretch where a lot of these guys were playing basketball. A lot of these top 25, top 35 guys were playing basketball, and Duncan was the best. And I think that that bears mentioning, too, that he was head and shoulders above other guys on this list at one point in time. Similarly, that lands me on Hakeem Olajuwon. Now, Hakeem Olajuwon has a lot of things to his name. He is the greatest international basketball player of all time. We'll see if Luka Doncic takes that from him. We'll see if Giannis takes that from him. We'll see if Jokic takes that from him. We'll see if Joel Embiid takes that from him. Oh, you notice there's a lot of guys currently playing from not America, right? That's because they all had Hakeem to look at in the 90s. Now, obviously, there are iterations that follow, and Dirk as well, and Dirk's the European, whereas... Hakeem is African, and I guess there's some differentiation there. But the truth is, is that Hakeem is the greatest international basketball player to ever touch the floor for the time being. I'm giving Luka, Giannis, and those guys a pass to see what they should end up by the end of their careers. But at the current stance, that's the greatest thing ever. I think that should also count in this because the impact on the game is that important. But truthfully, even if he was from the city of Houston where he went to college and played most of his pro ball, he'd also be right here because he revolutionized the center thing in his own right. The same way Shaq dominated with his size, same way Duncan dominated with his fundamentals and his habits, you had Hakeem Olajuwon dominate with 
creativity and quickness and footwork and speed and craftiness and all of these things that it's not like he was some punk. There's the famous clips of him punching dudes in the face and all that kind of stuff. But Akeem fits in this because he did all of those things while being tough, while being a dancer, while being a pirouette, up and around and over and through all these different types of defenses set to stop him. They win the 1994 title without other all-stars on the roster. In 95, I guess they do trade for Clyde Drexler, but Drexler was at a point in his career who was also not an all-star. Akeem Olajuwon has winged this as the only all-star in back-to-back titles, and he won them both. And yes, I get that Jordan won around in 94. Yes, I get that he came back in March of 95, and so he hadn't been around very long when they won. But I have to say that if you think that the guys in Chicago weren't also scared of this guy, that seems disingenuous because they have clips of them talking about it where they are scared. Like, oh man, we don't have to play that guy in Houston anymore. Like, that really did happen too. I think the reason that that happens is because the dominance that Akeem displayed with his creativity and footwork and mobility at the big man position. He also, in using those, was able to play from like 18 or 20 feet away from the basket. And that, a lot like Duncan, kind of continues to progress to where now we have 6'10", 7-foot guys that also do all these dancing, maneuvering kind of things and can line up that far away from the basket. So Hakeem fits here for a number of reasons to influence the game in a number of different ways, but also as a kind of thing that, like, he truthfully revolutionized. Like, we think of every center's footwork and how they tie to Hakeem Olajuwon. Can they do the dream shake, right? Obviously, he, he did the deal where he digs Dave Robinson up and down and back and forth. He did all this stuff to Patrick Ewing that we've seen a couple different times. He's watched clips, I'm sure, thousands of times. But Hakeem does all those things in a way that we now think does any basketball player even resemble that kind of an athlete, that kind of balance, that kind of body control. And the answer is frequently no. And the answer is frequently no about guys that are the best in the NBA now. All right, so my next tier of guys has some more current guys and a couple of older shout-outs. So on the current side, I've got Kobe Bryant, I've got Steph Curry, I've got Kevin Durant. On the older shout-out, I've got Oscar Robertson, i got Moses Malone, i got Dr. J. So this tier is, first of all, the biggest, and that's like six guys across, but it's also kind of where you're starting to get to guys that have other thematic things and also dominated basketball in some form or fashion. So Kobe, Curry, and Durant being the modern guys, Kobe relatively so, I guess. I look at it as guys who everyone wants to be like. Every seven-footer from 2010 on will want to be Kevin Durant. They will want to be some sort of a guy that can put the ball on the floor, some sort of guy that can help defend the rim that well, some sort of a guy that can shoot like that. That's the way the game is going. Every guard that wants to come into the NBA and is like, under six foot six, so basically the other. If you're not a big guy, you're Steph, you think you're Steph Curry. The game is constantly moving and shifting to space, to pace, to lots of three pointers because they're more valuable, and that's because of a guy like Steph Curry. Now we're gonna talk about Curry a lot in the last segment of the show, and frankly, right after we get wrapped up with this tier, we're gonna dive into that. So I'm gonna try and push his stuff to there. But in looking at Durant, I think his impact on big men is important. So let's talk about Kobe. Kobe, as I've said a thousand times on this show, is your favorite player in the current NBA's favorite player. These guys grew up wanting to be like him. They wanted to be killers. They wanted to be cutthroat. They wanted to have the same Mamba mentality. Whether or not they have it, that was the ideal. Now, then you factor in all the points. Then you factor in all the winning. Then you factor in all the different trophies he won and so on and so forth. Da, 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 da. Yes, that all factors in as well. But as far as impact on basketball, 
that puts him in one of these top few tiers on its own. And of course, with all the points and the winning and the trophies and da 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 da, that brings him up here as well. But one thing I don't think he gets credit for is the iteration of ownership that is currently running the Lakers somewhat into the ground. Yes, they won a trophy in the bubble, but otherwise it's been a pretty rough decade plus for the Lakers. He took that, relatively speaking, same ownership group to titles in three straight years. Now, they didn't win the 08 one, but they've won in 09, they won in 10. Again, like, can I be critical of the fact that he went sick for 24 in Game 7 and 2010 Finals? Yeah, but he is carrying, by and large, that franchise there. Then you factor in things like the 81-point game. Then you factor in things like the grit and grind and playing through all the injuries and all that kind of stuff, too. Yes, Kobe Bryant fits in this because of his impact on the game as well, on top of being the dominant force at two guard. It was a big man's game. Jordan said, I've taken this over. And Kobe kind of said, oh, any guard, not any guard, because not just anyone, but guards can take this over more often. This is not just Mike. All right, and looking at the older guys, we're going to talk about Oscar Robertson and the triple-double thing. I think that that's worth pointing out. But I think the bigger thing to look at Oscar Robertson is that, like, the triple-double, whatever you think about the stat as a whole, and I have ripped the stat to some degree. It's kind of arbitrary. But it does indicate controlling lots of aspects of the game. Oscar Robertson was doing that well before anyone outside of a big man was controlling all of those aspects and he was doing it while bringing the ball up the floor which i think we understand now means you are seriously in control of all of those things right so oscar robertson changed the way that we look at that it's no accident that very shortly thereafter you get a guy like a magic johnson stepping into the league and very shortly thereafter you get a guy like michael jordan very shortly thereafter you get a guy like lebron james like those things all trickled down because the way that oscar robertson controlled and dominated entire basketball games like a maestro with an orchestra so oscar fits in here he also did a little bit of winning with kareem he also does own set of individual records and so i think that obviously puts him in the same category here speaking of controlling a game there's a reason they call moses malone chairman of the board now when i watch Moses malone play i have to be honest first of all it's super old footage which like gives me a little bit of nostalgia funness but also watching malone play the thing that sticks out is he's got literal springs for legs while also having the dominant power of like a 1970s bodybuilder. I say that because his double bounce, like the way that you spring up for a rebound and go straight up with the putback for the dunk, like the double bounce on those kinds of things that we, I think, associate with modern training today. Like there are training methods now to try and build athletes that do the things that Moses Malone did. Though it want people to do them now in 2022 the way he did them in the 1960s and 70s. Moses really what I mean he has a three-time MVP, uh champion finals MVP, led the league in rebounds several times, all those fun things da 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 da. There's also the cultural piece about being a guy that went straight out of high school to the league and while no one did that outside of Daryl Dawkins and Bill Willoughby and I guess technically Moses Malone went to the ABA not the NBA. He starts this trend like 30 years earlier than it actually happens, right? Garnett, I guess, goes in 95, Kobe in 96, Jermaine O'Neal, like, I guess also is 96, and then 97, you've got, it's 97, T-Mac, 98's Richard Lewis, all those things trickle down and so on until you get LeBron in 03, and then they kind of put the kibosh on that, right? I think that was 04, they put the kibosh, 05, they put the kibosh, 05, they put the kibosh on that. Anyway, yes, Moses Malone starts all of that. However, he also at the power forward position and not like a particularly giant one, 6'10, 215, like very traditional power forward size. He has that double bounce and explosion with the power at the top of both bounces, both bounces. And I think that that's an impressive thing to watch. Uh, yes, he could also 
do all kinds of stuff with the ball on the ground. If you got them with the ball about 10 to 12 feet, you could go by guys to create the traditional, we think of basketball players, the lateral before vertical explosion. That means he bursts by you before bursting up over the next guy. Like he does those things as well. Again, decades before people would start training to be able to do them, that was innately in his system. Speaking of explosion, we got Dr. J also in this list. Now, Dr. J is on this for a number of reasons, including inspiring many, many guys to play basketball in a fun, high-flying kind of way. Yes, he was also on that 83 championship team with Moses Malone. Yes, he did the dunking over the free throw line and all those fun kinds of things. But I think the thing that sticks out when you watch Dr. J highlights and games of those Sixers teams is that, yes, he dunked the ball super, super hard at the top of it. Yes, like because he could palm the ball with like three fingers, he had giant, giant hands. He was truly throwing it through the rim in a way that intimidated defenses that would still resonate in today's game. But the thing that I think will last the longest of Dr. J was he starts this idea of being creative while you're in the air. The thing that your high school basketball coach told you not to do, where he says, don't jump up in the air without a plan, Dr. J routinely did that, and it wasn't just when he was shooting layups and dunks. He also does it on rebounds. He goes up with a rebound and doesn't really know how he's going to get to the ball. He also does it on passes along the sidelines and baselines where he's just jumping to try and get away from the defense and make a decision while he's in the air. Those kinds of quick decisions are being made by Dr. J in a way that is revolutionary to the game. I think it's the one that also sticks with us today. All right, so that's going to wrap us up on our tiers. Yes, my next tier will have guys like Charles Barkley, Jerry West, Kevin Garnett, Isaiah Thomas, right? Those kind of guys probably fit in the next couple, right? And we can go on and do this a whole lot of fun. But the reason we're having this conversation is because of a guy we just got to. Steph Curry sits just outside where my top 10 kind of is right now because he's really on the way it shook out. My fifth-ish tier with Kobe, with Durant, right? With guys that are changing the game. A generation from now, you're going to have guys shooting regularly, things that my generation grew up being told were bad shots. And that's not to say that the quality of the shot has changed, but Stakuri has changed the math on it. He's, you can practice shooting a three, coming off a screen with the ball in your hands, dribbling off the break or whatever. Like All these different ways to shoot three-pointers are just going to be commonplace and it's because kids are going to want to be the Steph Curry's of the world he's got the long-lasting impact in that sense tied up it's already done he's already got the three-point records he's already got the flash the pizzazz he's already got a handful of titles he's got double MVPs as well but the thing that's going to start to set him apart from his peers and move him up the charts here and frankly could skyrocket him up these tiers here will be how his career goes from 33 where he is now up until like age 37 or 39 if he wins the title this season, I guess that is a big if, we'll be breaking down the NBA Finals throughout the series, obviously. But if they were to win the title this season, and especially if he were to win a Finals MVP for winning the title this season, that puts him at four trophies, that puts him at a couple MVPs and a Finals MVP, and the same year he got a Western Conference Final MVP. All those things sort of put him into that, ooh, that's the dominance of Shaq, the dominance of Duncan, the dominance of Akeem type of tier he all of a sudden is like "Ooh, is he into that tier yes that puts him past kobe bryant can i talk to city of los angeles for a second yes that puts him past kobe bryant that was the dumbest twitter thing that yes if steph curry wins another title and gets the finals mvp in it he's past kobe bryant i don't want to hear about that from los angeles on twitter anymore but i digress that puts him into the Shaq duncan akeem category but also, with the way he's changed how the game is played, he had his rivals, he had his moment, and truthfully, he will have dominated roughly a decade of basketball 
all of a sudden you're like, huh, in the Shaq, Duncan, Akeem category, is he really able to work his way quickly into the Wilt, Magic, Larry, Russell category? And, you know, if he were to, let's say, take a second tear to Jordan Poole as he's turning 37, 38, 39, and doing a lot more catching and shooting as opposed to dribbling and shooting, and maybe, I don't know, lucks into another type of finals run, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, this is a decade and a half dominance. Is that closer to, like, Wilt, Magic, Larry, Bill Russell? Does this belong up there with that category of guys? Because he truly is showing how a certain skill, the same way that Wilt's offensive game or Bill Russell's defense or Magic and Larry's passing and flair, he's showing that that can also dominate for a long, long time. And then you start factoring in, winning and the way he's dominated while winning and those kinds of things it's not unforeseeable he's not like sitting around at 39 40 with five rings and with a couple of finals mvps and frankly he's already got the regular season mvps and frankly if he you know they're adding these western conference final trophies and those kinds of things too very quickly you're like huh this guy is closer to that first tier we talked about where he had longevity plus winning i don't mean to come full circle and be like super like oh but i will say that like steph the next few years of his career are interesting because obviously he's a very different player than lebron or jordan or kareem those guys had physical gifts where they could dominate in a different way jordan's strength is frequently understated and i don't just mean that because there are clips of him lifting after losing the pistons i mean his strength with the ball was truly special lebron's 6'8 plus, 6'9 plus, and like it sometimes in his career was over 260. That's a freak with the kinds of things he's able to do. Kareem was 7'2 when he has a plus wingspan and is going over the top of people with a hook shot for decades on end. That's different than what Steph is doing. But what Steph is doing also, a lot like that hook shot, a lot like that passing of LeBron, a lot like that mid range fadeaway of Jordan's, what Steph is doing is timeless he will be able to do like what ray allen does until he's in his 40s and so yes steph curry before the 2022 nba finals is sitting just outside that top 10 on that again in my fifth ish third what is it fourth ish fourth ish tier where he's sitting with kobe he's sitting with durant he's sitting with oscar he's sitting with moses sitting with dr j but there's a very real chance that by the end of the month this is coming out on june 1st by the end of the month, he might be working his way into the next tier. And by the end of the next year, he might be working his way into the next one. The way that this storybook is still unfinished for him feels ridiculous. And that does put him ahead of Kobe Bryant. That does put him ahead of Kevin Durant. That does put him ahead of Jerry West. That does put him ahead of Kevin Garnett. That really does launch him into a little bit different space that I don't know if we were all quite ready for. When we're talking about him specifically in the tier that he's currently in earlier, I mentioned that part of this is that people really want to root for Steph Curry. They think of him as the small school kid that came up and got drafted by the Warriors and stuck it out with them, and all of a sudden they won a bunch of championships. And yes, he did go to Davidson. I would point out to most people he grew four or five inches while he was at Davidson, depending on what report you read. And had he been six foot three coming out of high school, he probably never goes to Davidson. I digress. He goes to Davidson. He does take them to the lead eight and gets his name on the stage and does a bunch of fun things. He actually just recently graduated from Davidson. Shout out Steph Curry. Great job doing that. 
comes into the league, has a good rookie campaign, they change the team up, the Warriors restructure their entire franchise towards his strengths, including having the stones to get rid of Mark Jackson for a rookie head coach, Steve Kerr, after Mark Jackson has just taken the franchise to -to back-to-back playoff runs for the first time in roughly a decade, right? And that kind of organizational luck, I think, also plays into the Steph Curry story in a way that, like, people will say, whoa, he's stuck it out with the team and LeBron can never... LeBron had Dan Gilbert right in common sayings, all right? That's not quite the same situation, right? Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar showed up to Milwaukee. He wanted them to kind of say, get me the heck out of here. This is Milwaukee. I don't want to be here, right? If you look at Moses Malone, yes, Moses Malone bounced around a lot. Tough. He won wherever he went. They were really good. Like... These kinds of things, I think, do take some organizational luck, and Steph Curry ended up in a great organization for that to happen. So I don't necessarily ride with that as part of the reason he's on the supremely talented or whatever, and that's not actually one of the things that we should take away. But what we should take away in watching Steph Curry is, A, your story's never over till it's over, because he's sitting here at 33, and the story ain't over. And B, that... He is the epitome of these tiers of players, these rankings of players, these things that they open the show with calling so silly and then repeated to spend the next 50-plus minutes talking about. These tiers of players are silly because they're going to change over and over and over and over again. Steph Curry will continue to climb the ladder, and there will be a guy that comes behind him that climbs the ladder and surpasses him, and there will be a guy behind that. A guy behind that, a guy behind that. So while some of these guys will always be in the same areas, like Shaq, Duncan, Akeem will always be a tier of big men that dominate and change the way the game was played and truly revolutionize what the big man was in their eras. But there will also be a big guy come behind them, whether it's a big guy from Greece or a big guy from Serbia or a big guy from Cameroon or a big guy from New York or a big guy from Mexico City, wherever the big guy is from, there will be a big guy that comes and works his way into that tier or ahead of that tier. That's going to happen, and Steph Curry is walking, talking evidence of that. All right, thank you for listening to the show. Do you feel like you learned something about where to rank players or where the top 15 players of all time are? Maybe we can keep this going. We'll see what the summertime looks like. But anyway, thank you for listening to the show so far. You can talk about my rankings of players. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at paintworth 512 It's P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512 on Instagram and Twitter. You can find this show on Instagram and Twitter. On Instagram, we're at F underscore N underscore sports. And on Twitter, we're at F N sports 2. On both of those social media handles, you'll be able to find our link tree in the bio. That link tree will take to all of our sponsors, including our merch store to help support various charities and charitable endeavors. Make sure you go check all that out and support the show and support the people that support the show. If you want to support the show for free, you can do so by liking, subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Do all the wonderful things that help out the podcast and whatever you do when it comes to sports. Don't flunk with us. Later, guys.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.